for This Week in Hockey. An in-depth look at what's happening around the NHL this week. Here's your host, Blues analyst Alex Ferrario and Blues broadcaster Joey Vitale. This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome into another edition of This Week in Hockey, along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I am Alex Ferrario. We're here with you for tonight for two hours, hopefully to brighten up the rest of your day after a really cruddy day outside. Uh, you know what? Rain? Rain bother you. You know what? You, you're, you're fine with rain? I have actually... Unless I've had some outdoor event I really want to go to, I've been perfectly fine with rain. Keeps you inside, keeps the other people away, right? No, oh no. Listen, I turned like into a hermit like no, Ferrari. I am, I am extremely, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm very social. Uh, I, I like being out and about where people are, but I don't mind the rain. Uh, I, I just don't. I, I, I shoot. I mean, the grass has got to eat, right? Trees got to get water. We need, we need to refill reservoirs somehow, right? So it's got to happen with rain. So you don't mind rain. You know what I learned about myself this past week, Curbs? I don't like moving. <laughs> I despise it wholeheartedly. There is a uh, quote. My brother had put it up on social media, and he's right because I own a truck as well, right? One of the best lessons you could teach your kids is uh, don't own a truck. Otherwise, you'll be helping people move their crap all over the place for... Yep. But you guys, listen, you guys can't have that much. You have no kids or anything like that, so... That's what I thought until I realized that my wife likes to keep an awful lot of things. Wow. All right. Next thing you know, we're coming up with uh, Tupperwares of toys that she had when she was a kid so that we have for our future kids. Okay, some of those uh, some of those are collectibles completely on her side, and I understand it. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Until we found out. So we rented a 20-foot U-Haul. And we're thinking, okay, two-bedroom house, one bathroom, not a lot of storage we're moving out of. This will be no problem. Next thing you know, it's a 20-foot U-Haul that we've crammed so much in that... Sanford and Son would be proud of this. Okay, you want uh, you want one of the greatest lessons in life that never moves. I'm, yes. I'm going to give you or teach you, and I realize that this has not happened here. But listen up, everybody. All right, one of the greatest lessons in life you could have is move when your wife is about seven months pregnant. <laughs> Here's the deal. This is this is I why need, I need to say there 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 is legitimate thought in that process, and I am living proof of it. If you move into a house when your wife, who is pregnant, now don't let her lift things, okay? All, all the right pregnancy stuff, okay? Uh, again, folks, we speak in common sense here, so we're, we're just gonna have to assume that <laughs> we you try have to that you have it. All right, <laughs> you move when they're nesting. Because, oh my God, can they tear through a box, clean out a cabinet, get stuff put away in a hurry? Like, they don't want anything. There's no clutter. There's no, you don't leave stacks of boxes for two and a half, three weeks. So we moved from Olivet to Manchester back on September 1st of 2006. My daughter was born on the 27th of September. 
I had to think about that for a minute. It's like your so, anniversary we learned last oh, yeah, week. That's right. So, uh, and dates are hard for me. Okay. What we did is we loaded everything into uh, into a truck, brought it over, unloaded it, and then a buddy and I went back with the trailer just to get the odds and ends stuff. You're like, I don't know. I, I don't want to put this in a box or that kind of those, those yeah. kind of things, right? Drove all the way back out to Manchester about three and a half hours later. The house was unpacked. I'm, I'm not making this up. The kitchen was set. Everything was in cabinets. She had incredible. two of her friends over there. The, the towels were in the linen closet. I mean, the there the house was unpacked I'll in a three-and-a-half-hour window. So uh, what I suggest you do is uh, is uh, don't move again until Katie gets pregnant. <laughs> no, we ain't, we're not moving ever again. But I'll give her credit. I came home yesterday from work, and the whole kitchen and living room was set up. I said, God bless you. Next thing you know, I'm going to come home. Bedrooms are going to be set up. So props to, to Katie for what she's doing in our house. But we're not going to talk moving all night. we got plenty of hockey stuff to get into. Ken Cal from the Detroit Red Wings broadcaster is going to join us in our next segment. And uh, I have plenty of questions for Ken about the disaster that was the NHL draft this past week that we'll get into. We are also going to hear from Ryan O'Reilly, who was on the ice yesterday. Whoa, Curves caught up with what, him. Was it a disaster? Oh, yeah. We'll have time in the following segment after Ken to debate that. I, I'm not so sure it was a disaster. It will. It will. But I do want to start with this, Curbs, because I guess the biggest news in the NHL from yesterday to today have been the new COVID cases popping up. I believe it was a total of 11 NHL players tested positive out of 250, if I'm not mistaken. So the way the league did the release, which I find kind of interesting, it said uh, it said upwards of... So I, I obviously when they put the release out, there may have been more testing done within the few hours of writing and you go. Um, the teams have been asked not to release COVID case numbers. Mm-hmm. That's not for any they, they want to centralize it from the league. And so what they are doing is the league once a week, I believe on Mondays, is putting a release. Okay, here's the number of tests that have been run. Here's the number of positives. I firmly believe I am perfectly fine with the HIPAA stuff, you know, where if, if a player or somebody wants you to know they tested positive, great. If they don't, it's none of anybody's dang business. Right. All right. Uh, you, you don't have a right to know. You don't deserve to know. And with all due respect, you don't need to know. Okay. Because it impacts you in no way other than your own curiosity. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should not always have to have our curiosity answered. And in this case, I'm fine with it. So, but here's what the league is doing. They said, okay, what we've done is we've put out, they've had uh, just over 250 players show up to all the different uh, sites, uh, the, the home city sites for phase two. Again, keep in mind, phase two is not mandatory, which actually I think could pose to be a real interesting problem. Or at least a hiccup here. Phase two is not mandatory. So the 250 plus players that they've had come in, they have administered over 1,450 tests. So they they come in, they get tested, and then they get tested twice a week right now. Is basically the way it's going. So you could figure over a couple of weeks of this how very easily you can get to 1,400, 1,500 tests with 250 with 250 people being tested. They're at a a rate right now of about 5.6% when you do the math. So higher than some places where the curve is flattening, if you look at it like that, a lower test positive rate than in places where it's really popping. So that's the issue they have. But 
I don't think that that's any reason to cause. I, I don't see any alarm right now on that front. If you thought that you were going to bring all these guys in from all over the world and not have cases, you'd be you, you, you'd. We'd need to sit down and have some other questions and ask what's wrong with you. Right. Okay, so the challenge that they're going to have, Alex, is how do you contain it? And as we've already seen, you know, when you test a player and he finds out if he's at the rank that he tested positive, right, then there's a chance that he has already infected the other 6 or 12 that they are in their group. Mm-hmm. So do all those 6 and 12 then go home for a week or two? I don't know how all that part is going to work out yet. So now you can't just, because one test, send everybody out. You're just going to have to be a little more careful. Uh, does it mean that then those guys that have been around them, they should get tested every day for a week maybe? I, I don't know. I, I think that could work. So... To me, that's going to be the ultimate challenge. Now, that leads to this one. When you do officially open camp, and Bob McKenzie of TSN is connected as anybody is saying, you know, it, look, it, it's going to open somewhere around July 10th. It may not open directly on that date. Right. Agree. There's some other issues. We'll get into them. You know, there's some CBA things, some other stuff that we'll get into over the course of, of our show tonight. Okay. Having said that, the players, if the more players you can get into your home city and on a testing regimen and health questionnaire regimen now, the better you'll be. If there is a chance of an outbreak within your organization, let that outbreak happen now where you have a couple of weeks to get through it before camp opens up. Not bring back half of your team on July 10th and potentially have that outbreak. Look, that potential outbreak could happen anyway, mm-hmm. but I think you've increased your chances of this. I, like you, You've got your, your guys that are already now skating, guys that are in a testing regimen as it is. I think that everything resets when camp opens up if you end up with the majority of your players coming back on that date. Well, and that's what a lot of people are asking now. Is this going to help or hurt the chances of hockey coming back? And we'll get into that. And as Curbs mentioned, a lot of other things are popping up now with CBA negotiations, escrow. A couple of players are outspoken about that. Plenty to get into tonight until 8 o'clock. But I teased it a little bit ago with Hey, the Hub Cities. I know they haven't announced it. And I'm wondering if the reason for the lack of announcement is because Alex now where they could be going, and we'll, we'll, well touch and that McKenzie later in the hour. Some breaking news just recently on that, saying the favorite in terms of hub cities might not be the favorite anymore. So we'll get into that, but we got to get to Ken Cal, broadcaster of the Detroit Red Wings. I teased it with Curbs. I thought it was a disaster. Curbs, not so much, but maybe Ken Cal has a different opinion, as his team was the favorite to earn that first overall draft pick. We'll talk about that draft from last weekend next here on This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Back to This Week in Hockey with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale on your exclusive home of Blues Hockey, 101 ESPN. The number one overall selection in the 2020 NHL Draft belongs to a team yet to be determined coming from the qualifying round in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that means that the Los Angeles Kings will select number two overall. We started out tonight with seven teams dreaming of getting the number one pick and now suddenly 16 qualifying round teams and their cities who cheer for them are in play to get the number one overall pick. 
So on Friday, the National Hockey League held their draft lottery, and I was on a radio show earlier in the week, and somebody said, could you explain to me how this is going to work? So I I went into very simplistic terms of basically how it was going to work, and I said, now here's where it gets more complicated, threw that out there, and I said, and I would expect, based on the way 2020 has gone for everybody in the world, that the most complicated scenario that could happen would happen, and that's exactly what did happen, where one of the teams that is going to be playing in the play-in scenario is the team that is going to have a chance to have the first overall pick in this draft. So it didn't go to the Detroit Red Wings, who had the worst overall points percentage. It didn't go to the Ottawa Senators. It didn't go to the L.A. Kings. They were second. It ends up going to the team to be named later and uh, give us some perspective on this because there's a great debate on draft lottery and and how it should work is our good buddy ken cal longtime radio voice of the detroit red wings um known him since he was doing university of michigan games and i was a student calling hockey at miami of ohio and he's always just been a great friend and mentor in his business along the way ken thanks for joining us here first off happy fourth of july how you doing up there in michigan yeah, well, the weather's been great here in Michigan, and we're going to be in the 90s and not no chance of rain. So, yeah, it's a great opportunity to get out on the lake and maybe barbecue a little bit. But, yeah, enjoying it. Thanks, Chris. Ken, uh, before we even t- t- get to your perspective on the draft, and I thought you had some really good points that you made after the draft was uh, lottery was done. How about your perspective just on what this layoff is going to mean? Because in the case of you, your Red Wings, and, and yourself for that matter, and some of the other teams, if the National Hockey League does not start up their 2021 season until late November, early December, you guys are essentially talking about being off for nine months. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I was just talking with uh, a colleague today about uh, it seems like it's been forever since March the 12th when we came back from Washington. And, you know, this would be our normally our off season, and we'd be looking in a couple of months to get ready with training camp and, and everything else and the prospects tournament. But that's not going to be the case this year. So you're absolutely right, at least for teams like the Blues and yourself. Uh, you know, you've got something to look forward to, and the fans have something to look forward to. But for the Red Wings and six other teams, um, you know, we look forward to the draft. We look forward to starting up whenever that may be, and it looks like it could be maybe December, even January. Well, Ken, Alex Ferrario here, and uh, I told Curbs uh, in our previous segment that I thought it was just a huge disaster for how this draft went, and one thing that the Detroit Red Wings fans had to have been looking forward to was that high chance and likelihood of getting that first overall draft pick, and now it just seems like it's gone completely against what the uh, thought process was for Detroit. Well, you know what? I don't mind the Red Wings getting the, the, the number four pick. I mean, when you do a lottery, I, I mean, you're going against the numbers, right? And uh, there's a chance that you could get the number one pick. There's a chance you're going to get the number four pick or or the number two or number three pick. It's just the way it goes. I, I guess the only thing that disappoints me is, and, and, and I stand firm on this, is that any time a team has a chance to win a Stanley Cup, which means to be involved in the playoffs or even in playoff games, those teams should never, ever get the number one draft choice. It should go to the teams that that don't have a chance to compete for the Stanley Cup. And that's only fair. And the way I look at it is that this is the way it's been 
for years. I mean, what you want is a, a more competitiveness, uh, competitive teams. And when you finish uh, like with a disastrous season like the Red Wings had this year, and I'm just using the Wings as an example, you know, you hope that they would really have a solid chance of getting the number one pick. But when you look at the Wings over the last four drafts, over the last four years, they've dropped a total of eight places back from where they should be. So, you know, every year they're going backwards, and every year they're they're losing more games. So it, it just doesn't seem right that teams like the Red Wings, just for an example, and also the team like Ottawa, who really had the best chance to get to number one or number two, ends up number three. So the two teams that should be at one and two, you know, end up not being there, and they end up three and four. So, you know, there's a lot that needs to be worked on. But again, I just think that when you're a team and and you have the privilege and the chance to compete for the Stanley Cup as a play-in team, you know, the consolation for losing that play-in game shouldn't be a chance to get the number one pick. And you know, if I understood Bob McKenzie's tweets on this when when that draft happened. The way that the league has set it up, though, is if you were in a playoff spot or a wild card team, so I guess some some perspective for the fans out there, the draft lottery normally would have been the 15 teams that did not make the playoffs. In this case, it still ends up being those teams because if you, even though Pittsburgh, for example, has to play a, a playing game, right, or Calgary or Vancouver, right, they, they're still going to have to play have to play the playing rounds. If they lose in the first in that playing round, they're not going to have a chance at this first overall pick. It is still just going to be between the teams that, if they lose, would have been out of the playoffs. Correct? Does, does that sound about right to you? You know what? I'm not sure about that. I thought that if Pittsburgh lost, they would be one of the teams that would be 12% chance of, of getting the number one pick. I could be wrong. I don't know. But still, um, those teams that are, are far better than the teams that are, that are yeah. on that aren't playing should not have the opportunity to pick first overall. I mean, why not? Here's the, here's the scenario. Just to make it easier, why not wait? Wait till after the first round of the play-in games. Now you know who's out and who's in, and then hold your lottery. I mean, why do you have to have two sets of, of, of lottery drafts? Like, I don't get it. Well, and, and I, I should, I should make, make sure I make this point. The scenario I was talking uh, that I brought up is apparently only if there is no 19 to 20 return to play. That's the caveat that Bob McKenzie put out so there. So if they that. don't return to so play. So if they don't return to play, then it'll be those te- It'll be almost like a normal scenario where the teams that were out, out. And Ken, I, listen, I, the interesting part, the, they put the lottery in place to kind of prohibit the team. We saw the Blackhawks, for example, last year may have a massive jump, right? Uh, I mean, all the way up to, what was it, number two? So it, it can happen. We've seen a pretty good mix here back and forth. Would you, like, would you even be okay if a team just missed the playoffs was still involved in the lottery? Or would you really like to see the lottery, say, between the bottom five and then you rank it from there? Well, to me, I'm just keeping it simple. The seven teams that aren't competing for the Stanley Cup, either in a playing game, they're, they're, that's where the lottery should be. And then how, whoever gets knocked out, you know, then, then they go 8, 9, 10, 11, or however you want to do it. But, 
it, it's just not fair. I mean, in, in that regard, and, and look at it this way: I, I can I can think of, think about the Pittsburgh Penguins back in the day. They were ready to fold. Then all of a sudden, they have two back-to-back really solid drafts where they get Flurry, Crosby, Malkin, Stall. Next thing you know, you know they're perennial winners. You know they're they win Stanley Cups and they're in the playoffs all the time or most of the time. The same thing can be said about the Blackhawks and now the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like like that's how you build, and it's it it shouldn't change at all. And and like. Just to give you an example, and, and I'm not being a Red Wings slappy here. I'm just saying the Wings had 39 points. They were by far the worst team in the National Hockey League. How can a team that might end up with 80 points get the number one pick over a team that had 39 points? It just doesn't make sense, and it's not right. Well, and the part that gets me too, Ken, is is exactly your point, because when you, when you think of what the draft is for, it's continuing to build the organizations that are the bottom dwellers so that you have competition all the way around. And you would think the NHL would like to see a team like the Detroit Red Wings thrive or the Buffalo Sabres continue to thrive or the L.A. Kings continue to thrive so that the NHL is a full NHL rather than having three or four teams still in that bottom dweller and not being able to advance their organization. Well, the whole idea behind the salary cap was to have competitiveness competitiveness from every team in the National Hockey League. That, that's how it was explained to me, because there were the haves and the have-nots. And teams like Edmonton always struggled because they'd always lose their best players after four or five years, and they'd go to better teams. Well, the same thing is with the draft right now. There's always going to be bottom teams. I mean, that's just the way it goes. And, and the example I use is a steering wheel. Right now, the Blues and Pittsburgh and Washington, they're at the top of the steering wheel, and the Red Wings and, and Anaheim and L.A. were at the bottom of the steering wheel. But through the draft, all of a sudden, those teams on the bottom start moving up the left-hand side of the steering wheel, and the teams on the top have a certain window of opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. Then all of a sudden, they start going down the right side of the, of the wheel, and that's how the league works, and that's how the salary cap works right now. And, and it, it's not going to change. One day down the road, the Blues and, and all these teams at the top are going to be at the bottom of the steering wheel, and, and they're going to need to – to build through the draft. I mean, it's just the way it goes now in the cap world. So, um, you know, it's fair if you do it the right way. And obviously the draft, in my opinion, it's just my opinion. I don't think it was done fairly. And, and But you know what? The, the next step in that, Ken, and the key is something that the, the Detroit Red Wings did very well under Ken Holland. And based on his track record in Tampa Bay, you have to think that they will do very well under Steve Eiserman. And that is manage the draft and work the draft well. And then, see, to me, it's not just the draft. If you're going to end up, if you're going to end up with a top five pick, you're going to get a really good player. All right. I mean, you're going to get a really good hockey player. It's some of the decisions that you make away from the draft, too, that advance that. Because, for I mean, look, we've seen the Edmonton Oilers. We've seen the Buffalo Sabres. Buffalo Sabres have made the playoffs four times in 18 years. And so you're always drafting high. And you're still in there. So it's it, but on the next thing about steering wheel, like the Detroit Red Wings, a combination of not only getting a couple of those high picks and doing okay with those picks, but then how you supplement the roster and the smarts of your GM to do that that is going to dictate whether or not you stay on that bottom part of the steering wheel or finally get to drive the car. Well, Chris, 
you're absolutely right about that, and it's a combination of both. But you you still have to draft, and and the the key to me in drafting is you got to do your due diligence, and it's not just the first round selections, but it's finding those diamonds in the rough. They're in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round that turn out to be really solid players for your club for years to come. An example is look at look at the Red Wings, Henrik Zetterberg. I think he was a fourth round pick, and he turned out to be a, a very good hockey player for many years and the captain of the Detroit Red Wings. Those are the types of players you have to find. And you're right. Right now, the Red Wings, they're going to have a boatload of money, but they're not going to go out and and give long-term deals to free agents and and bring them in here. That's not the way Steve Eisman is going to build this Detroit Red Wing team. They're going to build it. Draft. And once once they develop their players and they start getting those players involved in the system and they start being competitive and qualifying for the playoffs, then you go out and you get your free agents and you uh, work them into the lineup and, and all of a sudden you've got a pretty solid team. But I agree with you in that you just can't do it by the draft. It certainly helps when you can get some generational players, but you have to do it you know, through a number of ways too. And some of, them, some of the ways are through free agency as well. So we talked with Ken Cowell of the Detroit Red Wings broadcast team on the radio side of things. Ken uh, Ken Holland was just announced as a, uh, will become a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, announced as one of the new inductees in the Builders category. You were there for a good majority of his time as general manager. What is it that you saw with Ken Holland that allowed you guys to see players leave, bring in players, and stay at the top of the heap as long as you did along with the successful part of three Stanley Cups? Well, it seemed to me, Chris, that he was uh, always ahead of the game. Uh, He was always two or three years thinking ahead of of how he was going to build this team or or keep the Red Wings competitive. And, um, I mean, let's face it, they drafted well. And when Iserman left and Fedorov went to another team, the next wave of of talent came in down the middle with Datsuk and Zetterberg. And, you know, the Wings were pretty good with that one-two punch for, you know, 11, 12 years, something like that. And, you know, the wheels just kept on rolling. And then they would get into the free agent and uh, sweepstakes. And, and bring people in, and they remain competitive. But eventually, it caught up with the Red Wings, and it, it catches up with every team because the Red Wings really tried everything they could do to make the playoffs. And in the end, um, with some contracts that I, I would think were somewhat overvalued in some some areas, I mean, it caught up to them, and it catches up with every team. Um, if you're continually drafting, I don't know what, what's the word, high or low, or the way that the Red Wings were drafting, you know, you're not going to get those players that are going to come in and make a, a huge, uh, you know, advantage to your team. Like, it's not going to happen. So, you know, it just catches up. And, and the one thing about Ken Holland is, is I'll say he was a really good numbers guy. And, you know, back in the day when there was no cap, he'd go out and he would target free agents. And the Wings were good, so free agents wanted to come, and he would pay them handsomely for, for being here in Detroit. But then I give him a lot of credit because when there was a cap that came in, um, you know, he looked at the numbers and he still had the Red Wings competitive. And I think the Red Wings and the Sharks were the last two teams to miss the playoffs, um, you know, in the cap in the cap world. And, 
you know, he did a really good job with that. So, you know, he well deserved for Ken Holland. I'll tell you what, he was he's a nice man, a great guy, a great hockey mind, one of those guys that made you feel part of the team as a broadcaster. Always invite you on the road to go with him and watch games with the coaching staff. Just a, a great guy. And anytime you had a question and you needed an answer or an honest answer, he would tell you. So, you know, I I, I think it's um, you know a worthy worthy uh, appointment for Ken Holland to be a builder in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Ken, I love talking hockey with you, my man. Thank you very much uh, for giving us a little time here. Stay safe, and uh, we will we will be in touch. I I hope very soon. Yeah, hey, hey, by the way, congratulations on your Stanley Cup championship. And, uh, you know, have fun when the season gets going again for the playoffs. Yeah, we will do it. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate you, man, a whole lot. Best of luck. Thanks, Ken. Thanks. Ken Cal of the Detroit Red Wings. uh, I'll tell you a great story when we come back. Yeah. He renamed a drink in Oxford, Ohio. (laughs) It's always the start to a good story. He got a drink. Renamed at a bar That's always, in Oxford, Ohio. So that's coming back, and we'll react a little bit to that draft stuff next. It's This Week in Hockey. He's Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear this week in hockey with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale on your exclusive home of Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Thank you to Ken Cal for hopping on with us in our previous segment, a broadcaster for the Detroit Red Wings, of course, talking about the NHL draft, along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. Don't miss Ryan O'Reilly. He's going to be coming up in our next hour. But Kerbs left us with the wonderful tease of Ken Cal naming a drink. Is that correct? Creating a drink? Yeah, okay. So he was doing games for University of Michigan. Okay, and I was doing games... Honestly, at the time, it was, well, it, was, it would have been my senior year, so I was doing road games on WOXY. You ever see, you ever see Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman? Yeah. Okay, you're, they're driving down the road, and uh, they're driving down the road, and Dustin Hoffman keeps going, 97X, bam, the future of rock and roll. Yeah. That was the alternative rock station in Oxford, Ohio. That was the station that carried Miami sports, and, and so we were on, that was the station we were on. And, uh, but, so... And they did the road games. On the home games, I would do them for the student radio station. So Michigan was in town for two games. So I invited Ken to to join me, and and we went up to a bar called Saloon right up on High Street. And and I was in it a couple years ago, too. It's still there. So um, so anyhow, go into this bar, and we're drinking. Well, he's drinking Long Island iced teas, and it's the first time he'd had a Long Island iced tea. And we're drinking a lot of them, okay? <laughs> and and I had stayed a, a couple summers earlier. I had stayed up there during the summer to get my Ohio residency, so I get my tuition cut and could be could afford to stay in school there, right? And so, uh, so I got to know the bartender, you know, really well. And so we're in there, and we're just sitting at the bar, and and Kenzie, man, these things are real blank kickers. S-H, you know that word, kickers. Yeah, okay. ish kickers. All right. And and he kept saying that. And finally, the bartender, God love him, he walks over. He goes, that's enough. And he walks over to the dry erase board where it had said, like, what well, I forget the cost of whatever the Long Island iced teas are, right? But Long Island iced teas wipes it off with his hand and named him the, named him the Michigan sh- kickers. <laughs> right? And, uh, and, and the rest of that year, school year, that state is the name of the Long Island Ice Tees. They should change that to Detroit Red Wings in games. that uh, in that uh, in that bar. So Those, that that's what sh- that's what should Long Island Ice Tees be called at the uh, Little Caesars Arena now in Detroit. 
That's what they should rename oh, it. Listen, he's had me tell that story on the air in Detroit a couple of times. And, I mean, and it is funny. It, 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 was, it was a good one. We had some headaches that next day. That's no awesome. About well, that's what Long Island Ice Teas. But I do want to go into a little bit on that draft curves because we talked about it in the first segment. And big thanks to Ken once again for uh, giving the Detroit perspective on it. But watching that Friday night and just understanding how the drafts have gone in the last couple of years, it was obvious that, and to me, it's obvious that these things are set up. And I think that's what was the most frustrating. <laughs> that's what the most frustrating thing about this was. Like, you know, I believe it was in the past, and Jamie Rivers and I talked about this a couple of days ago, where they used to have it like the uh, like the lottery balls on camera, where they'd pull the one out and they'd show the logo of the team, so that you knew it wasn't fixed, or maybe it was fixed. Who knows? But it's just yeah, they didn't show it on this one. No, it was just so impossible for yeah. me to sit there and believe that you're, they're just going to walk out from behind the curtain and say, oh, oh, random card flips over and it's the NHL team. Like, the whole point of these NHL drafts are to extend the life and bring back to life teams that are at the bottom seller. But when you take that away, like last year, and you catapult the Chicago Blackhawks team that, yes, they missed the playoffs, but they're going all the way up to the top three. Whereas a team like yeah. Detroit this year or Anaheim or L.A. is trying to hold their head above water and they get robbed from by a team that potentially could have a chance for a cup. Okay, this is why I said it's not a complete disaster at, at the moment. Yeah. All right. If if after the play the play in round is over. And if the team getting the first overall pick turns out to be Montreal, Chicago, Arizona, Minnesota, Winnipeg, the Rangers, the Panthers, or the Blue Jackets, if when the season ended, those teams would have been out of the playoffs no matter what, okay? Mm-hmm. Right, they were not in the top eight in, in either side. If one of those teams ends up with the first overall pick, like – just miraculously jumping from where they would have finished to the first overall pick. Like a big jump like Chicago made last year. Okay, then I'm not sure you call it a disaster because that's a system you've had for a good number of years. Right. To Ken's point, and I don't disagree with him on this. Now, keep in mind, his point was a team that has a chance to compete for the Cup should not. So if you extrapolate that out one step further, that would also mean that a team that is not competing for the Stanley Cup should. So, again, if one of those teams ends up missing out, in a regular scenario, he'd have been okay with that team having the the first overall pick. Okay? Right. So that's why I say it's not a complete disaster just yet. Now, if the Pittsburgh Penguins, if the Calgary Flames, heck, if, if the Vancouver Canucks, you know, and end up in that situation. If Carolina or the New York Islanders end up with the first overall pick, yeah, I agree with them. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. I do think that the reason they did this, and again, it had to be agreed upon by the general managers and, of course, the PA on the draft as well, is one, those first teams, that grouping of teams I mentioned, they'd have had a shot at the first overall pick if you just took the standings where it was. If the season would have played season, itself if, out. Well, if the if if the season had ended officially and the standings were as they were now, those teams, based on where they were in the standings, would have had a shot at the first overall pick. All right. If you were the Pittsburgh Penguins, 
you played well enough to be in the first round of the playoffs. Right? Right. If you're the Edmonton Oilers, you're the fifth overall seed in the West. Yeah. You had the fifth best record in the West. Yeah. You now have to beat the Chicago Blackhawks just to get in. And I think that they might have included them in this process just to placate that scenario because I could see the Penguins. I could see the the you know, some of these other teams. I, I could see the Edmonton Oilers going, Well, that's not fair. You know, we had the fifth best record. And we got to now play to just get a buy-in. Now, the reality of it is, is some of those teams could have fallen out of that spot. Right. Not likely, but they could have. And so, again, a situation, Alex, that just isn't fair. And this is just one of the years they deal with it. Now, when it comes to the draft and little conspiracy thinking, I don't know. And I think, I think I've just said this long enough that I think I'm just going to stick with it just to have, continue to have fun with it the rest of my life. Okay. I'm not sure anybody could ever convince me that that draft coming out of the lockout in 0405 wasn't rigged. I 100% agree. And and here's, but my my reasoning is kind of a math thing. So they basically said, I'm going to oversimplify this, but coming out of that lockout, all 30 teams had a shot at the first overall pick. So if each team, so what they did is basically, let's say each team gets three ping pong balls. Okay, and one of your three ping pong balls come up, you win. All right? An actual lottery. Okay. And Sidney Crosby is the winner. He's going to whoever wins the first overall pick. As Ken mentioned, the Pittsburgh Penguins were done. They were dead in the water. There was talks of them moving to Kansas City, other places, ownership issues, Mario taking over because they couldn't pay... You know, Mario becomes the owner because, you know, that that was the deal when they couldn't pay his deferred salary. I mean, all sorts of stuff like that. All right. Man. Okay. So now it's okay. But if you made the playoffs the year before, you lost one of those ping pong balls. So so now the teams that missed the playoffs going into the lockout. Okay. The Blues were the eighth seed, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. You now only have two ping pong balls. Those other teams have to have three. And if you had a first overall pick in the previous five years, you lost a ping pong ball. Well, go back and look who picked first overall one of those years. The Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm-hmm. That's when they chose Marc-Andre Fleury. But they didn't lose the ping pong ball. The team that lost the ping pong ball, right, was the Florida Panthers. Because the Panthers actually held that first overall pick and traded Pretty it yeah. to Florida. Or to Pittsburgh. To Pittsburgh. All right. So, uh, I, mean, I mean, again, you look at that scenario. So, I, I have some fun on the conspiracy side. I, this one, I just think, dude, I mean, right now you bring back the quote from Marty McFly. It's just that simple. You know, when, when Doc Brown looks at him and goes, because you remember, Marty kept saying, whoa, this is heavy. And Doc Brown finally looked at him and goes, is there something wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull? Like 2020, something is wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull. Yeah, this would be the okay. only thing that could happen for this, 2020. The, the only other thing that could have really, that, that I actually, and if I could have gone to Vegas and done a prop bet on this, I would have. I would have bet that not only the first overall pick went to one of the playing teams, but another one did too. Yeah. That's the only thing that would have really sent out this whole thing. In you want my conspiracy theory? The Arizona Coyotes are going to be the Pittsburgh Penguins in terms of the team that's on the fringe of might be moving, might not be moving. Oh, we're going to give you the first overall draft pick. If the Arizona Coyotes, 
if the Arizona Coyotes lose in their playing round and get the first overall pick, we're bringing this segment right yep. back up. It will be no, talked about. No doubt about it. Because, look, I mean, the ownership issue in Ottawa is such a mess. Yeah. In Ottawa, I mean, they had an amazing chance because they had San Jose's pick. So, the, so, they, so they get two picks there in the, in the top five now. I mean, the Detroit Red Wings had a legitimate chance. But yes, you're absolutely <laughs> oh, yeah. right. That's then. Then I'm listening all over again. We're bringing that back, no yep. question. That's Chris Kerber, I'm Alex Ferrario. Why the hell are we going to talk about the 1979 NHL draft? Kerbs poised, posed, poised. I, I I was poised when I posed a question. Kerbs asked me a question. We're going to talk about that next year on this week in hockey on 101 ESPN. We are right back to it. This week in hockey on your exclusive home of Blues Hockey, 101 ESPN. So we're wrapping up the first hour here on This Week in Hockey. Ryan O'Reilly is going to be in the second hour. He skated yesterday at Centene. Chris Kerber had a conversation with him. You're going to hear that conversation coming up in our next hour. We've spent a lot of time this hour talking about the draft that was Friday. Ken Cal joined us. Curbs and I just talked about the hoax and conspiracy theories around the draft. But Curbs poised a good question to me earlier about the 1979 NHL draft. So I want you to bring our listeners into this. Okay, so some of the downtime that people have had during this pause. And NHL.com, they've been going back and kind of redrafting draft classes. Right. And, I, and, I, and I've been fascinated. I think it's just kind of fun. I, I love to see how it goes. All right. So the 1979 draft. Okay. In the 1979 draft, the first overall pick was not a by the Blues, but it became a former Blue. Okay, it was Rob Ramage. Rob Ramage was drafted actually from the WHA. He was part of the Baby Bulls there in, in Birmingham, and he was drafted by Colorado. Perry Turnbull was the Blues' first overall pick, and Perry with a 608 game playing career, 351 points. Okay, if you redid that draft, quick side note: is that the only time the Blues have picked second overall? Uh, I don't think, think so. they've ever... I, I, I think yeah. so. Okay. I think so. Sorry. All right. So if um now also in this draft is Mark Messier and Ray Bork. Okay. Wow. So if you're Colorado and then you're St. Louis, who are you taking? Who's where's who's taking Bork? Who's taking Messier? With their careers known now? Well, yes. We we are one thousand percent playing hindsight's twenty twenty. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I think Messier still goes first. I mean, especially with the leadership qualities, the Stanley Cups behind him. You could make the argument for Ray Bork, but I think Messier goes first. I think the Blues would come away with Ray Bork. 1,579 points and 1,612 games from a defenseman. Yeah. From a defenseman. Yeah, but how many Stanley Cups for Mark Messier? You've already drafted Bernie Federico. You've already drafted Brian Sutter. You've already drafted Wayne Babich. Yeah. Can I take back my thought? Yep, I'm going to give you a chance. Okay, I'm going to go Ray Bork there. Okay, all right, now. All but, right. But that's, Messier's that's still going part. one, though. Yep, okay. Messier's still going. Yeah, well, I think I think Colorado's taking Messier first. Uh, okay, I, I actually agree with most people that are thinking that you're taking, they're taking Ray Bork. But I'm going to throw you some curveballs here. All, all right, right curveballs. Okay. Does that opinion change whatsoever if I say that Mike Gartner was also part of that draft? Ooh. And every, there's a bunch of people driving around probably going, uh, no. Yeah. Okay, well, it's maybe not quite as easy as you think. Mike Gardner scored 708 goals in his Hall of Fame career. 
708 goals. I think I'm... And still finished with 1,300 points in 1,400 games. I think I'm still going Messi. Okay. Or right. Bork. All right. Now, here's the fun part about that whole scenario when you think about it, right? Part of it's got to come down to, you know, depending on, on what you need. I would have no issue, I, to be honest with you, as great as Ray Bork was, depending on, and, and, and especially with how do defensemen develop in the league, I mean, yes, there's no knocking Ray Bork whatsoever. Not even chance. Not doing it. Would never do it. I don't know that I'd argue with somebody if they decided to take Gartner over one it's of those other guys. not a bad decision. It, it, it's really not. So, I mean, it, you wouldn't go wrong with it. Now, how about the, this is also in that same draft. Guy Carboneau, who went into the Hall of Fame in 2019. Right. Third round pick. Right. Some people go, oh, should Guy Carboneau be a Hall of Famer with 600-something points? And, okay, when Peter Stastny describes playing against Guy Carboneau as maybe one of the toughest players yeah. he had to play against, there's no doubt that, that he one was a Hall of Famer. So, so Guy Carboneau. Michel Goulet was a first-round pick in, in that draft. I mean, M- Michel Goulet finished with 1,100 points. He was over a point-a-game guy. Right. Okay. All right. Glenn Anderson, hmm. a 2008 Hall of Famer, was a fourth-round pick. 1,099 points. He former blue? He's former blue. Thomas Steen. Oh, yeah. 817 points in 950 games. Of course, Mark Messier was in that one. But but that's not what, like Neil Broughton. He's not in the, the Hockey Hall of Famer, but I mean, the U.S. Hall of Hockey Hall of Famer. Neil Broughton, 923 points. All right. And in the fourth round, here's I, I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that most people, and, and this is not a knock at all, Alex, right? John O'Grodnick played for the Detroit Red Wings, drafted by the Detroit Red Wings, finished with 827 points. I mean, that could that was a hell of a freaking draft. 827 points. Okay. And he's picked up. Hey, that's that's uh, what? Uh, one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's like nine guys that are basically close to a point a game guy. So of those nine guys, where does Rob Ramage fall? Does is he pick? He's falling out of the top ten. Out of the top ten completely. Yes. Oh, well, look, Rob Ramage had had a, had a heck of a career with. I mean, he won a Stanley Cup, five hundred and sixty four points, one thousand forty four games. But with but, those other ones, point per game players. But when you're looking at that. Then yeah, you're yeah. probably saying, you know, I'm, I'm probably dropping him to tenth. Yeah, tell you what, if you want entertainment, when you get home after driving around, driving home from work, go to NHL.com and look through some of these previous drafts, the redrafts that they're doing. Like Curbs mentioned, they're so entertaining, but they are also so mind-numbingly anger. Alex Petrangelo was drafted fourth. Okay, behind. Zach Bogosian. Oh, no, no, Steven Stamkos Steven was Stamp one. Zach Drew Doughty was two. Bogosian was then three. Bogosian was three to Atlanta. Yeah. Redrafting that. Redrafting that, where do you put him? Probably third. Okay. I mean, I think Doughty, if we're going hindsight, Doughty still has the cups. Doughty is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. Um, and Stamkos with the numbers he's put up. But the injury history of Stamkos compared very, to Petrangelo. fair to put him there. Yeah, it would be. Again, go check it out. Look through some of those redrafts. It's pretty incredible. Uh, we mentioned in the beginning of this hour some breaking news from Frank Zaravelli uh, talking about the hub cities. Curbs and I are going to get into that as a favorite. Might not be a favorite anymore. We continue with the next hour of This Week in Hockey next here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. Be the 
first to know everything about your St. Louis Cardinals. It's nonstop Cards Talk, the Danny Mac Report. Monday mornings with Carriker and Smallman, Wednesdays with Rivers and BK, and Fridays on your drive home with the Fast Lane. More Cards Talk, more often. The Danny Mac Report, powered by Goodwill, exclusively on 101 ESPN. Sports Talk for St. Louis. More NHL talk, more often, this week in hockey with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale on your exclusive home of Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Hey, hey, I got to go back, Alex, as we welcome everybody back into this week in hockey, our second hour here on 101 ESPN. Before we jump into the Hub Cities, I got to go back to this 1979 draft for a minute. Because I, I rattled off those names, right? I'm telling you, these drafts are mind-numbing when you go back and look at them. Well, well I just went back and, and scrolled through it again, just uh, just out of some curiosity. 14th overall pick that year, Brian Propp for Philadelphia. That's 1,000 points, 1,003 points in 1,016 games. Hall of Famer, well, a soon-to-be Hall of Famer, Kevin Lowe, was the last pick in the first round of that draft. Mike Foligno, 727 points in 1,018 games. And listen, when you talk about first families of hockey, okay, and obviously you've got the Gordy Howe family, and they belong on the pedestal that they belong on. You've got Bobby and Brett Hall. Got the Sutters. Okay, and of course, you know, Dennis that, that, that played too, all right? You've got the Sutters. You can, and, and, and I think you can, you know, you look at the point totals of the Steens, you know, I mean, I think they're only the fifth father-son combo. To have played uh, eight hundred or a thousand games and and, and six hundred plus points, mm-hmm. but the other family that is in there along those lines with that comment about the Steens is the Felino family. Because you got Nick Felino with Columbus. And, I mean, and, and these guys, Foligno. right? And and go look at the points that those guys have picked up. And what what brought that to my attention is when I was doing the research, you know, late, late or early last year on Alexander Steen and kind of senior, like son of a gun, the Felinos are right in there as well, you know. So yeah. that, that, but but I mean, again, you just. It's just kind of phenomenal. I know you're going to be out next week, and then I'm going to be out the week after. So in three weeks, which will give us plenty of time to do some research curbs. Did I say Dale Hunter when I was doing that earlier? No, you didn't say Dale Hunter. Dale Hunter's 1,000 points in 1,400 games. Dave Christian, 700 points. Okay, I'm going, that is going to have to be. Like, that has to rank up there as one of the best That's drafts, That's what I was right? going to say. In three weeks, I want to both do some research and come back to the table when we have our show in three weeks of the best overall NHL draft because I think that has to be it. But there might be another one out there. Well, that one's pretty And maybe the text line sent us some draft years in the NHL that was the best overall draft. So Damn, we'll get into man. that in three weeks. But yeah. I do want to get to this hub channel in my inner nerd right now, aren't I? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's mind I mean, You can get lost in that rabbit hole. Well, Pierre very... Lacroix was drafted by Quebec, and he's the one that eventually put together the Colorado juggernaut. See? You can get lost in this for a very long time. Curves is going to be doing this for the next 54 minutes. Hub cities. So it was looking like for a while Vegas and Vancouver were going to be the hub cities, but there were still a lot of other cities involved. Canada said that they were open for business. Toronto jumps in. Edmonton jumps in. Vancouver falls off. 
Vegas was looking like the number one destination until these COVID cases have popped up. So since then, and since we started our show curbs, Frank Saravelli, of course, of the senior hockey reporter at TSN Sports, tweeted this out. For the first time in more than a month, it sounds like Vegas is no longer a front runner to host an NHL hub city. The spike in COVID-19 numbers in Vegas appears to have put a damper on their bid. Bob McKenzie reported, very possible that both hub cities could be in Canada being Toronto and Edmonton. Yeah, it is a fascinating development. However, I can tell you that I have been told all along, and I've said this on some of these shows, that everybody keeps pointing at Vegas, but it's not a lock. And that's a, and and it turns out that maybe you know, they could still end up going there. Look, I I do think I do think Okay, you've got to keep your business hat on here, too. This is not, it is about playing the games, but you've got to keep the business hat on here as well. I really do think that it was in the best interest of the National Hockey League to make one of the hub cities in the United States and one of the hub cities in Canada. I agree. Now, I don't think that you're going to become the forgotten child, okay, but let's face it, the sports being played up in Canada, it, it, it might be a different beast altogether, so... I do think that if you had the Druthers, it could still be there. Does that put Chicago in the mix again? I mean, Chicago now apparently, L.A. was ruled out. Yeah, uh, according to the way, at least at least that's what that's what some of the people really tied so into they, the league. It L.A. Has, said that they can't have anything of more than fifty or more people. Right. So, you know that 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 then leaves you know really Chicago and Vegas as the last two cities able to go. Ironically, you know the way COVID seems to be hovering right now, St. Louis might have been a pretty damn good city for, for them to look at on that. Right. So, having said that, you know they're far enough down the line that I. I, I, I do think you really want one on both sides of the border. But if the only way to do it and the best way to pull it off for the safety of these players is to put them both in the Canadian city, and that is where your decision makers, along with the medical people, think that is their best chance to do it, then by all means, do it. Um, because, look, look, one of the health factors that is coming out about COVID-19 is that it could have an impact on the cardiac muscle, your heart. Yeah. Okay. So I can tell you that when players are showing up as part of phase two, an EKG is part of it, not just in the NHL, but in these other in these other sports. Um, so, I mean, again, the, the the concerns here, the the concerns here are are are, are legit. And look, if, if did you read Ian Desmond's piece that he put I did. out? Okay. You know. The, the social aspect of, of things aside, when he's talking about having a wife that's pregnant and the risks of, of, of coming home potentially with COVID, like, no way in hell am I taking that risk either if you don't have to. You know, so, I mean, I, I just, the broadcasters aren't going to be alongside. I'm disappointed in that. But at the same time, I am like, I am so about, I understand what the, it's important to eliminate as many people as you can for whatever reason. To not only get up and protect the players as well, because we got to see there. That, that's what matters. Right. That is what matters. So yeah, I, first off, Canada getting rid of the fourteen uh, day quarantine for the players. Now I haven't read anything that they've gotten rid of it for the for the families. Yeah, I haven't okay? seen that. And I do know that the families are still part of it. So that is one issue going on. Is obviously the hub city part of the return to play 
Part Correct. of the return to play part. Now, after we talk to Ryan O'Reilly, uh, we'll, we'll bring you the interview that I did with him yesterday, you know, after he got done skating. You know, but we'll get in because there's more. There's CBA issues that, that you know, that are coming yeah. in into play here. So, um, you know, there's it's not going to shock me. It, it's not going to shock me if they name Chicago or Vegas. It's not going to shock me if they go Edmonton and and um and Toronto. Because with the other thing, too, Alex, and people have to keep the. Wherever, however, this bubble is going to go, and I realize people are probably scared and just tired of me saying this. You're going to have to have the means to deliver some level of normalcy for these players in this situation. Now, you're talking about a three-week scenario. Maybe you get to the hub city. Maybe maybe two and a half weeks before eight teams are going home. And you got another two weeks before another eight teams are going home. So in, in, in four to five weeks of the hub city becoming hockey central, you're down to eight teams. And it becomes a little bit easier to manage. You know, that's maybe maybe when more can come on site because they've got a system that's working. And if you test negative, they can bring you on site, you know, to do things. Like, all that is wide open. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out, Alex. But um, not not shocking at all. that. And, and this is also why, this is also why you didn't need to make a Hub City announcement a month ago or two weeks ago right? or four days ago. It's not a surprise that Florida the way they opened up and when they opened up, that Texas, that Las Vegas are starting to pop, that Arizona. It's not a surprise that states that were a little more cavalier in the process are popping right now. If it is, I don't know, then then you're messed in your mind because it shouldn't be a surprise to you. So uh, I, I don't know what the COVID-19 situation is in Toronto. What I've read recently, I mean, it's 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 pretty calm in, in Edmonton. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but, and, but I'm not at all surprised that that's the development. And I do want to get into some of that CBA negotiations at the bottom of this hour. Uh, but we do have to get to Ryan O'Reilly. By the way, going back to the draft thing for the final time, our good friend Ben Boyd texted us and said... Let's not forget about the great Joe Vitale draft. Oh, see, that's going to play a factor. Here. That's going to play a big that's factor. That's going to play a big factor. So here. we're going to do some research. Anytime you could draft a player that gets traded for Pavel Datsuk. Straight up traded for Pavel Datsuk. Not you know, a big deal. Yeah. Not a big deal. He's Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. Ryan O'Reilly skated up at Centene Ice Community Center yesterday. Curbs talked with number 90 and the Stanley Cup champion. You'll hear from him next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. NHL Talk, This Week in Hockey, with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale, on your exclusive home of Blues Hockey, 101 ESPN. ESPN. Back in here on a Tuesday night, Alex Ferrario, Chris Kerber with you yesterday. Ryan O'Reilly was on the ice at Centene as more and more players are coming for Phase 2 as we hopefully get closer to Phase 3. We'll talk about the CBA negotiations in our next segment. But Curbs talked with number 90 after his skate yesterday. We want to bring you that conversation now here on This Week in Hockey. Ryan, how nice is it to be back around some of your teammates? Uh, it's very nice. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's, uh, it's so weird. It's kind of be back at our facility and with guys I haven't seen in a while. Uh, it's definitely nice, though. It's nice to kind of almost get together again and 
and uh, yeah, kind of get on the ice and get moving. How are how are you doing with everything and how everything is going? It's been uh, yeah, it's you know for myself, it's been great. It's been a ton of family time and been able to I think stay in good shape and skating a bit now. So it's it's been very good that way. But uh, yeah, we welcomed in uh, a new uh, a new baby boy to the world, which was you know a pretty it was pretty interesting time being at the hospital and experiencing that. But um, everything went smooth. Everyone's healthy. So it uh, it's been it's been very good. Yeah, you dealt with what what a lot of people had to deal with. What was it like? Were you allowed in? Were you or were you, when Declan was born, was it one of those situations where you were not allowed in at the time? No, uh, yeah, that was kind of a, a concern we were having leading up to it. If, if you know things get worse, I, think I might be allowed to be there and be a part of it. But uh, you know, luckily I was. I think um, you know we were at uh, you know Mercy Hospital, um, the birthing center there. It, it was a, an amazing experience. We were able to go in and we we're in the room and. Uh, yeah, it was just everything went smooth, and we were there was very little contact with um, any other people. So it was it was kind of eerie that way. It was kind of it was different than your normal hospital experience, but um, I guess it was good in that sense. Well, we saw a great video uh, a few weeks back, or maybe even shoot at this point a few weeks could have been a month or so back uh, of you and, and Jamison working out. How is Jamison enjoying being an older brother now to the Dublin? <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, he's been awesome. He's been so great with the baby, and uh, yeah, for myself, uh, you know, he's two and a half now, and yeah, he's my best friend. You know, we do everything together, and everything I want to do, he he wants to do. So whether it's uh, working out or something like that, he wants to be there and, and, and try it out. So it's it's so much fun. Uh, he's so entertaining right now, and and keeps me busy too. You know, he's he's in everything. He's golfing in the backyard, and then he's playing hockey. And, to the pool and chase you know, chase him around everywhere. So it's it's fun. It's uh, it's uh, definitely pretty exhausting. Though. Ryan, we'll, we'll talk hockey in a minute here, but like, or, you know, maybe for some of the uh, for some of the folks out there that you know weren't dealing with other aspects of life in terms of say a pregnancy or something like that during this quarantine and, and COVID nineteen pandemic. You know, what, what was it like for you and Dana as you traveled back from Anaheim? Her being pregnant, you know, you're getting within the final month and a half or so of of having a baby and balancing the what we knew, what we didn't know, the safety and all that on top of just the uncertainty of what things were going to happen hockey wise. Yeah, we were, uh, you know, obviously definitely very worried coming back. And yeah, it is a unique situation. And, you know, all the information is coming out. You're not really, you know, sure how, you know, what happens to the fetus and then during the pregnancy, what will happen and such. So we were definitely kind of doing as much research as we could to find. And, you know, we had to be very safe. We had to make sure we were really now. And even now still being, you know, he's six weeks old today. Um, but yeah, it's still, you know, having that infant at home, we have to be so careful and, and, you know, it's just being smart, staying at home, doing those little things and, and, you know, getting through it. But, uh, you know, we're very lucky, you know, we've, you know, we're lucky that we have kind of, you know, Zoom and, and FaceTime and such for family and be able to kind of, you know, at least see them face to face and, you know, at these, at these tough times. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's went very well and hopefully things can, you know, still progress and things can get a little better. And and a great story, if you don't mind sharing it with all of the fans out there on how you name Declan Paul and it kind of honors both uh, yours and Dana's fathers. 
Yeah, yeah. His name is uh, Declan Paul O'Reilly, and uh, you know her. Uh, you know my wife's uh, father's name is Paul, and then uh, my dad. Uh, he goes he goes by Brian, which is his middle name, but uh, you know his first given name is Declan. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty cool uh, you know tribute to them. Obviously, uh, you know two men that have impacted our lives tremendously. So it's uh, you know something we thought was was nice to do. So what was the, the decision process like for you in terms of uh, when to get back over to Centene in, in phase two and kind of start that process? That's a pretty heavy process that the league is making sure for the safety of the players that is going on. Yeah, well, the big thing is we wanted to be, uh, you know, we wanted to be sure, you know, everything was kind of, you know, safe and set up and, you know, getting tested and having those come back negative was important. But, uh, you know, once getting that, you um, yeah, we want to. We know how important this, this stretch is, and still, it's not 100% we're going to play. There's a lot of things that have to be worked out yet, but you know, we want to be as prepared as possible. And you know, getting back over here, getting skating together, and, and you know, all the guys trying to kind of come in and, and get on the ice together and be ready. Um, yeah, it's just it was kind of a, an easy decision. You know, we want to be here and and yeah, start preparing the right way. What have you experienced uh, along the lines of the testing and just the answering the health questions to make sure every day uh, you're able to get to the rink? Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, first thing you do, you wake up and you take your temperature and, you know, you answer these questions, which um, I think it's it's important. Um, you know, I think it's, it has to be done. You, you know, we don't want to be, you know, spreading this or, 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 be, or get it at all. So, you know, you want to protect your family and, and the team and, you know, everyone. So it's... It's been good. The tests are uh, obviously a little, a, a little, a little much. They're a little annoying, but uh, they're over quick. You know, it's it's five seconds of an entire day that you feel uncomfortable for, and then uh, then it's done. So it's it's not that bad. Um, um, but um, yeah, you know, it's it just kind of staying on top of it, being smart, and you know, really practicing social distancing, and you know, sanitizer everywhere, and washing your hands the right way, and and go from there. You know, so many people have asked me over the last few weeks, do you think this will work? You know, do you think that this, you know, is going to happen? And what are some of the biggest uh, hurdles to overcome? When you talk to your teammates or maybe former teammates, other players around the National Hockey League, what's the vibe you get in terms of the overall commitment level to meet the standards that are going to be required to pull this whole thing off? Um, you know, I think it goes a bit both ways. I think there's times, you know, I think we're kind of positive and think we can do it, but then there's kind of comes there times where it's kind of a little bit more difficult and there's so many unanswered questions. And, you know, in, you know, if everything gets under control and things go well and, and, you know, everyone's smart and it's taken care of, you know, there's definitely a good possibility that we will play and it will happen. And we know it's going to be difficult. There's, you know, so many things that will be unfortunate, you know, being away from our families, um, doing this, being confined in these small spaces. But, you know, I think it's important for the, you know, our game, the growth of it, to be able to, uh, you know, salvage this, this season and, you know, have a winner, not let the whole thing go to waste. But, Again, the priority is the safety and the safety of our families, those guys, whether they had young kids or have kids and, you know, families that way. That's definitely the priority. But, you know, I think the NHL is doing a good job putting in, putting in uh, you know, good, you know, good practices to help us make sure nothing happens. But, uh, yeah, again, it's, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty. What are some of the things you did to uh, stay in shape when you were not allowed on the ice? Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I did, uh, you know, 
he thinks uh, you know having a couple weights at home, not uh, not very heavy ones. So I think it's kind of funny just lifting these light little weights and trying to <laughs> trying to stay in shape that way. But um, yeah, I did a bit of running. You know, it was nice to you know be able to kind of run and kind of just around the neighborhood out uh, on, the, on the road and such and did that a bit. Uh, you know, also biking. Had a little stationary bike. I was doing that and. You know, I think for your body, that's, you know, you feel good. It helps you kind of stay, I guess, stay lighter and stay lean and such. But, you know, when you get back on ice, it's completely different muscles and it's such a different feel. Like, you know, the first couple steps, you feel like you're on rollerblades and you're just kind of rocky and it's it's completely different. But, uh, you know, after, you know, a week or so, it, it all comes back. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been good. Well, uh, what do you think about some good old Midwest St. Louis heat and humidity? <laughs> Yeah, it's the first. Uh, yeah, I think last year I was back uh, back home at this time, and oh my gosh, does it get hot? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's great though. Uh, you know, we've got a little pool in the backyard, which my little guy and I are in all the time, trying to stay cool. So it's uh, it helps a lot that way. What are some of the things on ice that uh, you guys can work on now before you eventually hit the ice with coaches? <laughs> Um, I think we all, you know, it's it's a little different because the numbers aren't there. So kind of the pace is, you know, the pace is you have to kind of be smart with it and make sure, you know, you're, it's paced out the right way and, and doing stuff still with high intensity, getting kind of the right amount of rest and, and, and such like that. But, you know, I think every guy's different. You know, every guy has different things they like to work on. And, you know, for myself, you know, different, you know, getting my hand-eye back and, and, you know, just little touches on the puck. I think that's something that, have to take a little extra time to do that you know every guys it's you know could be you know getting the first three strides back and comfortable and explosive so i think it's we all have kind of little things i think mentally we work on individually as we're as we're on the ice and being aware of them. but um yeah it's still you know still got guys push each other out here it's just i mean ice and get everyone together too if we get to the point and like like you said we hope that things continue to go in that direction where we get to the point where games are getting played it, it's not going to be much time to get things ramped up how does the closeness of your hockey team your teammates uh, and what you guys went through a year ago in the playoffs how does that help you get together quicker and be more ready earlier to accomplish some of the challenges coming ahead yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be unique for sure, you know, but like you said, last year with our success, you know, we know what our, our, a good game for us looks like and we know we're going to have to play our style and be physical and, and you know, be hard to play against. You know, that's got to be the staple of our game going through this. Um, like you said, though, it is, you know, every team is starting from scratch. Every team that's involved in this right now is looking at, they have an opportunity to win a Stanley Cup. So it's going to be one of the toughest like, stretch of hockey that any of us, any of us that will ever be in. Be the toughest tournament that you know that yeah any of us you know it's it's like nothing else. So it's it's going to be extremely difficult. I think as a group we know that it's going to be completely different from last year. We're not coming in you know finishing a season playing very well and having momentum and coming in. You know we're all starting at the same point where you know we have to you know the way we practice here, the way we're in shape, the way. You know, we take care of our bodies and stuff. All of that comes into play right now moving forward. So it's, you know, there's confidence in, in our game. I mean, know what it looks like, but it's putting in the work now and, and, you know, getting that preparation. Some of the veteran guys uh, keep in touch with some of the younger players on the team to make sure that part of that stay ready focus is there for this moment. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I think we've all kind of, 
you know, we talk to each other in, in certain ways and, and keeping tabs on each other, making sure that, yeah, like we're not, uh, you know, we're not just going in this to kind of see what happens. You know, our focus is to go in and win this and it's going to be done one game at a time. And we got to know it's, it's going to be tough. Everyone is fresh. Everyone is healthy. It's going to be taking care of ourselves in so many different ways and, 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 you know, not getting ahead of ourselves, you know, just take it one game at a time. And right now it's, you know, getting into the best shape possible going into this. Hey, what was it like for you uh, to join the guys from Men and Blazers and join Roger on that one clip from earlier and getting a chance to, to experience some things like that because of the hockey success of the last year or so? Yeah, it's been cool. Uh, yeah, definitely since winning kind of, you know, there's a lot more opportunities, a lot more requests for different interviews. And, uh, yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. There's a lot of, you know, unique stuff to talk about. And, um, yeah, I think more and more with the kind of success from last year as a group that, you know, for myself, uh, there's more and more and more unique opportunities and, you know, you know, different questions that come up that I haven't really answered before. So it's really nice how that kind of, um, yeah, all these different opportunities come. Have you uh, been able to recoup uh, enough energy over this time? I know having a new baby and all, but has it been recuperative in a lot of ways too, mentally as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, you know, this this whole pandemic has obviously been an unfortunate situation, but when you look at it hockey-wise for for us, for having played the amount of games that we had over that stretch, um, for all of us, I think it was a great mental break just to be able to take, you know, month or so to kind of just get away from the game and, and come back and you can see um, you know I'm just talking with guys like there's, there's a lot of hunger there and honestly that would have been fine just you know not having this to go on but it is a nice break for all of our bodies just to kind of recover a bit and and come into you know going to this next stretch completely healthy well, you know what? It's uh, it's been great catching up with you for a little bit. Looking forward to getting a chance in person here, maybe before too long. But uh, congratulations again on the birth of Declan uh, for you and Dana and, and Jameson, a new family member during a pandemic. Keep things safe. Keep battling through it. And uh, we'll get together hopefully soon, man. I appreciate you giving us some time today. Best of luck. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. There you go. That's Ryan O'Reilly with Chris Kerbin. If you missed any of that or if you caught it towards the tail end, you can check it out on the Blues website or you can download the podcast after tonight's show. We'll come back and talk about the CBA negotiations and how they can possibly hold up a return to play. Kerbs and I will get into that next on This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Now back to This Week in Hockey with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale on your exclusive home of Blues Hockey, 101 ESPN. So we talk so much about the COVID cases that are popping up, potentially holding up a return to play, and we already mentioned the Hub Cities with the Boys of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. But the CBA negotiations might be the topic that really holds up the NHL return to play. Curbs, I want to read you this piece from Frank Saravelli's article, of course, of TSN senior hockey reporter. So this was Artemi Panarin, who, of course, is a member of the New York Rangers. He's a Stanley Cup champion. He's a Hart Trophy candidate. He said, I have concerns not only about the health of players, but also about the long-term prosperity of the NHL. For nearly two decades, the players have protected the owner's income with escrow, including throughout this pandemic process. Even as owners, equity continues to grow. It's time to fix the escrow. We as players cannot report to camp without already having an agreement in place. 
Well, I, I listen. I, I think the NHL and the NBA, MLS, NASCAR. I, I don't know how the the finances and some of those other sports work well, but but for the most part, they've done a great job of keeping the financial issue discussion below the radar here. And I do think as you get closer to playing, it will become more public, and you just hope that it doesn't get to the point that Major League Baseball did. Because at some point in time, the re, the pause because of the pandemic becomes the pause because of the economics. And even though they are related that's not how it is going to be perceived. And yes, because of perception and, be, you know, and because of reaction, you can do damage to your business depending on how that part gets handled. Having said that, look, Alex, and, and I hope people are, at least are willing to listen to some of this. The, the economics aspect of this are very real. It is not in the best interest of the players. Okay. It is not in the best interest of the players to move forward under the current CBA as it is either. Because if they did, for example, if the if, if the players and, and the reason I'll, I'll give you this example in a minute, but that is why there's leverage on both sides here. And I know people don't want to hear leverage, but but that's why there is. And I mean, look, when, when humans are the product this is what you get but there's interest in the players to work out some amendments and some adjustments to the CBA and potentially extend it further and I'll I'll oversimplify at the moment one of the reasons that these leagues want to look at extending their CBAs now baseball is up after next summer the NHL CBA is up after the next two full years. Okay, that, that extension had already been agreed to. But one of the reasons that you want to talk now about extending it out is the uncertainties of it. And the way the CBA is worded now is definitely not in the favor of the players either because of the escrow, which is a huge issue that Artemi Panarin talked about and some other players have, have added to that since then. And the way escrow works in the National Hockey League is basically this. It was put in place in 2005 when the salary cap came into play. They didn't go with a hard cap. They went with a cap that would go up if league revenues went up. The way they ensure that is escrow. Now, escrow was originally intended to say, look, okay, if what is paid to the players agreed to upon by contracts, if what is paid to the players ends up being a little less or a little bit more than the 50-50 agreed-upon revenue split on hockey-related revenues, then what is in escrow, the owners would get that money back. And the reason you have to do that is you've got to set that salary cap early. You're setting that salary cap so teams can plan for the next year before you've done your auditing to know what the exact hockey-related revenues are. And so that's why it was there. It was not designed for this, for this pandemic, if it was. Imagine this. The players already have had 90% of their salaries paid out. If you go with a 50-50 split and you just got smoked to the tune of basically $1.1 billion in revenue, which is where the estimate is being reported from a league-wide standpoint, well, then the players end up owing back based on that CBA. So if you're a player, you said, ah, we agreed to a CBA. Okay, (laughs) 
but it's going to hurt. Right. And it's going to hurt big. And it's going to hurt big next year, too. If I mean, there's no guarantee that you can play to full capacities the moment next season starts, whenever that is. So the players have an interest in working that out. Now, how they agree to the terms on getting that balance, that's where things can get, obviously, a little nasty, as we saw with Major League Baseball. So you've got to hope that over the next couple of days that things have been worked out. The good news is, is to ratify the CBA, they only need a majority. Right. You know, of the vote. But what Frank Cervalli was reporting is that that vote could include not just the return to play proposal, but the CBA. But negotiation the CBA. Well. So how that vote goes will be interesting. And, and go back just to the return to play proposal, Alex. You've got the multi layered safety procedures, how they're going to handle the testing. You've got the bubble and the lifestyle restrictions that are going to be put in place. And where where does CBA negotiated rest- restrictions come into play over just personal liberty restrictions, right? right? You know, and then of course you've got the training camp procedures, like like we just talked about. In, in, well, we talked about it in the first hour. And you finally get all these players back, and they're all on the ice together. All right. I mean, what are the procedures in place, and just how tight are you going to keep things in as close to a non-bubble as you have it? Because this is the same argument that I made in March, before the close happened, before the pause happened. You could do, and you could come up with whatever scenario you wanted to come up with to protect the players when they're at Bush Stadium or Enterprise Center. In any sport, you can stand the media six feet away. You can do any of that. It's what they do in the 20 hours they're not at the stadium or the arena that is going to dictate whether or not this that they were going to get right. sick. And so uh, I think that scenario is still the, the case here. So there's, look, there's still a lot to go through. And Ryan O'Reilly even said it in the interview we did. You know, we want to be ready, but there are still some things to get worked out for play to resume. And uh, and and that that I think, you know, that's 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 the real. The real challenge that they have, because and and I hope, listen, fans, Alex, have to understand this, don't they? I mean, I, I know they're not going to because of the way salaries are in sports, but put yourself in that situation. I mean, I don't care who you worked for. Uh, let's say you worked at McDonald's, right? Ah, oh, let's 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 be kind. Let's say you worked at Target, and they just announced that they're adjusting their, you know, that they're going up immediately to all their employees at fifteen dollar minimum. You know, it's actually pronounced Target. Oh, no, well, go ahead. ahead. I always I always go with Target. But okay, so so that that that's a heck of a thing and a move by Target, right? Right. Okay. Well, what if they turned around and said, "But if uh, our revenues don't hit this, you have to owe us that hour difference back." Right. And and that is essentially an a way super simplistic way of looking at it, right? But but that is essentially what's going on. So look, you you don't the, the players are going to have to be smart here. Obviously, they've got Donald Fear running things with with his you know decades of experience, and 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 you've got the league side. And for the most part, they've had some pretty good labor piece, you know, since since. What uh, twelve thirteen? Yeah. So you're going on seven years, and now you know it'll be close to ten years by the time it goes. But nobody expected this pandemic to hit. And the success of the league, you can tell that there's been some peace with Vegas expansion, with the Seattle expansion. And I know we sound all doom and gloom here. I wanted to provide this tweet as well. Eric Engels, who covers the Montreal Canadiens, uh, he's a senior reporter for uh, Rogers uh, uh, Rogers in Canada. Uh, he said one player said a majority of the players do not want to return to play this summer. 
estimated 75% they're concerned with financial pitfalls of that decision, more concerned about risking contracting the virus serious injury before cramming the 2021 season in. He goes on to say another player said that calls with the NHLPA have been a joke, that they've only revolved around the financial situation, but they've also said this, everyone's going to play, no one is going to opt out. Playoff bonus will be higher than ever. That's free money if we play. Hockey is a different culture than other sports. No one is opting out. So some positivity there moving well, forward. And li- listen, we're not, I don't think at all we were talking gloom and doom. No, we're just, there's a lot of. A lot I, of I think against. all we're doing is educating people out there that, you know, don't spend every, their whole day reading this stuff like 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 I'm doing but or I like you're want, doing. But I don't want people to think we're saying the hockey's not going to come back. There no. is still optimism. We're, we're not bringing we're, we're not bringing doom and gloom. We're actually just bringing the facts. Right. This is this is what these leagues are facing. Right. You know, and it and it's not just as easy as saying uh, people are rich deal with it. it. It's just that's just not how anything. Listen, that's not how anything works. That's not how it works. You know, and so. Especially and and look, I mean, car car manufacturers. Anybody out there? There are some now. This station isn't one. There are radio stations out there, right? That are part of AFTRA. Okay, anybody out there working, mechanics, whomever, under a collectively bargained agreement on how you are compensated and how your work life goes has to understand this. Yes, you are talking in larger numbers and yes, you are talking about a much more public entity. And that's what these leagues have to deal with. But you have but you understand at least the issues involved. Right. I mean, can you imagine like I mean th- think think of the layoffs and, and, and the furloughs that have happened in every single business. You know, I mean, look, this is the financial side of this is, is very real, you know, and, and it's very realistic. And and look, I'm going I'm stepping way beyond the NHL here. We don't know yet what COVID-19 true impact is going to be. And so for you, for people to think. That there could be some sports teams and franchises that could end up in some real financial trouble would be foolish. And I'm not saying that's the case here in St. Louis, okay? But I mean, heck, with I mean, look look at teams that don't draw the Miami Marlins. Mm-hmm. You know, look look at some other you know things that happen. If you don't look at look at how it's, I mean, just read reports of how it's impacting certain clubs in England when it comes to soccer. Right. Right. I mean, there's just. My point is, is it, it's not coming without some very real challenges, and those challenges can only be addressed through agreements by both sides. So that's why both sides have to take their time and make sure they understand everything involved pro and con to get through it. And that's why you're seeing all these pro sports try and find a way to navigate through all of this to try and get these seasons back up and running. We're going to come back with our final segment in three minutes. I want to pose a question to Curbs that Jeremy Rutherford posed earlier today on 101 ESPN as we wrap things up tonight here. Oh, on so it's going to be an easy question. It's going to, well, that's what you think. We're coming back with this <laughs> week in hockey next on 101 ESPN. This week in hockey with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale on your exclusive home of Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Talking about players around the league. 
they really wonder if this is worth it. I've heard from a lot of players who I can tell you they don't want to play. And, and I think uh, when you look at uh, the negotiations that are going on, everything to date has been mostly about how can we get back on the ice in terms of making this work financially. And a lot of the players feel that there hasn't been enough talk on the safety. So don't know what you've heard, but it, it seems like as we get closer, a lot of these players are questioning whether this is worth it or not. So that was the question that I wanted to pose to you, Curbs. Uh, is it worth it? With you heard Jeremy Rutherford, of course, of The Athletic talking about that earlier today on 101 ESPN. So as we've talked about the return to play and the CBA negotiations and the hub cities, is it worth it? You you, you can't not play. I know I just did a double negative on that. It's okay. okay. It's allowed. You can't not play. And I do believe Ryan O'Reilly said that in, in the interview, essentially. Like, he understood, like, like, like this isn't going to be easy being away, but we understand for the health of the game. Now, define health in many ways. And even if you wanted to selfishly define it as save as much of my salary as I possibly can, right? Right. You can't not play if there is a chance to play. People are not going to be sympathetic about not wanting to play in a bubble of vaccine. Some are going to be understanding, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of sympathy, all right? So I I think players, listen, you know what, Alex? The players have been, the players that have ignored certain realities of life while you live the life of a professional athlete, in my opinion, are getting one hell of a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. If you are a player in any one of these sports and you bury your head in the sand when certain things come to the nitty-gritty details of your CBAs and stuff like that, and your focus is just, uh, how much money can I make and what's it all mean? It's a lot more to this. In terms of how you make that money, and now you are in it. Now, like if you have a, if you, if you're not woke on this stuff now in these on all these sports, and I'm talking, I'm, I'm throwing a broad blanket on this, you know, then you're nuts. Like like you're now in it. Uh, not playing because of the fun. Everybody's going to understand not playing because of the health issues. Right. Okay. I have no problem with any of these players that have opted out. In, in, in Major League Baseball or the NBA. I have no problem because they're not getting paid. I mean, that, that that's fine. I'd have no problem if a player in the NHL decided to opt out. Honest to God, zero issues on that. You know, I mean, look, you're Ryan Zimmerman, okay? You already know the Nats aren't picking up your $18 million option, so you were going to go play for $2 million. That's not going to be this, and you're going, wait a minute. I'm going to risk potential injury in that versus for $2 million. For two, for, well, for less than that. Yeah, that's true. For a lot less than that. Okay, percent of that for a okay, like you can claim safety all you want. That'd be a bad financial decision, right? Okay, even if you are going back after another World Series, so I just look. I, I have no problem with 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 if players opt out. I mean right. that that of course is their choice to do it, but um, but yeah, it's worth it. I mean, if you have ever any understanding about the temperature of what's going on in this country uh, and around the world, if you have any understanding of what it means to your sport. Yeah. If there's a way to do it, I think you got to try to do it 100%. Well, and you've seen a lot of hockey analysts say that this is a big week for the NHL in terms of the return to play, hub cities, and a CBA negotiation. So we'll see how yeah, that kind of transpires. Yeah, but you could, Alex, like, it's a big week. No, it's only the big week because it's the week we're in. 
You could push it back another week. Right. You've got you've got some time on the back end if you're not starting the other season until December. Well, and they said that July or late November. Well, they said July 10th is for the training camp, but they said that can be moved around a little bit. But and Donald Fierce said that from the start. But it's ideal, I think they said, to try and get it as close to July 10th as possible to give them those three weeks. The sooner you can get the players in the bubble, the sooner right. you have a chance of trying to protect everything right. you can. So we'll have to see kind of what the rest of this week unfolds moving forward. And if you missed any of the show tonight, talking about the draft line, with Ken Cal. If you missed the conversation with Ryan O'Reilly or any of the upcomings that have come from the NHL conversations this week, you can check out the podcast this week in hockey on 101ESPN.com. Curves will be back with you tomorrow night. It's Behind the Bench, presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Force from 6 to 7 o'clock. What do we got tomorrow uh, night? Kim Davis is going to join us in the National Hockey League. Uh, so a, a, a very a very straightforward hour of some real social issue talk about this sport and, and that. And it, it's really fantastic. And then uh, Hosting the fast lane on Friday. Yeah, there you go. So Curbs will be on the fast lane Friday. Get behind the bench tomorrow night. Curbs will be out next week for this week in hockey. So I'll be here. We'll have a guest, a mystery host for you. And then we'll continue the hockey talk. But thanks for joining us tonight. We'll talk to you tomorrow from behind the bench from 6 to 7 o'clock on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors, We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.